Welcome to Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to put a bullet in the head of Look at the Princess. I... Is that too violent? Is that imagery too violent for this episode? It's a little violent. Also, I mean, did you not find this episode cromulent? We're here to cut off the head and then throw it in acid of Look at the Princess. Yes, we're at Look at the Princess Part 3, the Maltese Crichton. The which... third most part there is. Which is episode 13 of season two. Mm-hmm. Of Farscape. Of Farscape. We're talking about Farscape. So, yes, there are a few parts of this episode that hit hard. I don't know how hard they would have hit if it weren't for the fact that we're still, I, I feel at this point, relatively new parents. Well, I mean, yeah. I, having watched this episode prior to being a parent and watching the episode now... Yes, it 100% hits harder when you're a parent, but that doesn't invalidate it. No, no. If, if anything, I think that means that it's working on a level if the parent stuff resonates with you when you are a parent. Yeah, and I hate to admit it, but Dargo did grow on me. What? That makes me so happy. I, I think it's the fact that he's not constantly negatively affecting the plot while yelling at John for messing stuff up. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that is helpful in me not despising him as a character. Because in early episodes, all he did was make things worse and then yell at John. That is sadly accurate, yes. Also, I know Zan is not my favorite person, but I do love uh, what she does in this episode. Yeah, she's barely in this episode, but I I do appreciate them giving her less screen time than last time in the, I really, I don't like the subplot she's in, but I'm fine with how it resolves. So in the future, I think we're going to do the three-parters all in one go, because they really do need to be seen that way. Hmm. And the Zan plot, I think, really exemplifies that. We just skimmed right over it last episode, because really... It was nothing but wheel spinning because the Zan stuff happened in the first episode and then it concluded in this episode. So everything that happened in the middle episode was just, hey, remember that we're here. And yet it took the most time out of the three episodes. It did take a lot of time. Yeah. But I I, I think you're right. I think watching the, I know it's a three-parter episode, but I think not watching it all in one go is kind of like... You remember Quibby? Yes! Oh, Quibby. There are just so many things wrong with Quibby. Who doesn't want to watch a movie in 12-minute chunks? Quick Bites was what Quibby was short for, in case you didn't know. Quibby. And it was a... For people who don't remember Quibby or who never heard of Quibby, mm. it happened about a year ago. And it was a streaming service that you paid for that offered you little six-minute... 10-minute episodes, and the selling point was, hey, look, it's something that you can watch on your phone while you're waiting in line at the grocery store or getting on the bus or, you know, whatever. So, like, the people pitching this were unaware of YouTube's existence? Right? I could do that for free. Or I could just watch things in 12-minute chunks on Netflix or Hulu. Because some of what Quibi did was just full-length movies broken into 
you know, six to 12 minute chunks. And it's like, you could just watch a regular movie like that. Well, even their shows, like the the show about Dan Harmon's sex sex doll. doll. Yeah. I mean, even that show, when we watched Amanda the Jedi's review of it, it seemed like it was the pilot that had been cut up into chunks. Yeah, it really seemed like sort of they were just taking stuff that other people had rejected, which is a fine way to do a streaming service. I, I guess I I don't know anymore. I, I don't know. There's there's too much. There's, there's just, just too much. It's just all of the things that Quibi did wrong really makes me laugh, which maybe I shouldn't because... Monopolies are bad. No, because your point was that we did this like Quibi. We should have done it all in one go. Mm, point. <laughs> so I guess I guess we I guess anybody is vulnerable to the mistake of the Quibi. Although unlike Quibi, we're not charging you for this. That's true. And also, I feel like you at least got a full experience when we're talking about each individual episode. I would hope so. It's not like Dan Harmon's sex doll starts talking to Anna Kendrick and is like, "Up oh, next episode." Oh. Uh. Or. Whatever. I... I I really want to emphasize for people who don't know about Quibi that we're not being flip here. There is a program on Quibi, or there was, because Quibi doesn't exist anymore. There was legit a program starring Anna Kendrick about Dan Harmon, the person's sex doll, written by Dan Harmon's girlfriend. Unfortunate. Based on a true story. Although... Except not really, because the sex doll comes to life. Yeah. Presumably Dan Harmon's sex doll doesn't really come to life. If it does, then we have so many more questions. Oh. Farscape. Let's let's jump into this episode. So, as a reminder, last episode, last episodes, mm-hmm. Moya's crew has taken refuge on a sebation-free colony, a free sebation colony, where John has been found out to be the only dude who's capable of successfully impregnating the uh, soon-to-be monarch. So, yes. uh And part of the monarchy thing for this colony is uh, that you get frozen as a living statue and sit in every council meeting for like 80 years so you can absorb all of the knowledge that one gets from spying on Congress for 80 years. And thereby be a good ruler. Yeah. And since John is the only person who is capable of impregnating this woman, they kind of press him into marriage with her by threatening slash offering to give him over to Scorpius slash protect him from Scorpius. Yes, Scorpius is here and he wants to get uh, the wormhole knowledge that those cricket dudes put in John's brain. So he's like, hey, you should give him to me. And, you know, I I can suck that tasty, tasty knowledge out of his brain. Meanwhile, part of Scorpius's, like, daddy race ha- is also interested in this free sebation colony. There are these, like, psychic dragon things. I was going to say fire-breathing lizard dudes. Honestly, they're very close to... The way half dragons work in D&D, third edition. Mm. So if you read the third edition dragon book for D&D, it's, they're, they're, they're very close to half dragons. It, 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 it works pretty well. So 
those guys are also interested in this colony and they're trying to get the princess's brother to work you know for them they they uh they made her infertile until john and his super special sperm came around well okay so she's not infertile they just poisoned her dna so that she wouldn't be able to be a genetic match with anyone but john not being a sebation it was fine yes he has the superpower of being able to impregnate anyone. Apparently! Mm. So, they're trying to get the prince, by threatening to murder him, they're trying to get him to take the throne. And uh, if he takes the throne, then he's basically just going to hand the planet to them. The Scarens, The half-dragon people. Yeah. Yep, so that's what's happened so far. Now, I mentioned when we did the first episode that... Part one and part two both ended with John seemingly dying, and that's because I was mistaking this pre credit scene as the scene that ends the second episode. And it's weird to me because that really seems like the cliffhanger that should have ended the second episode, but here we are! Here we are! John and his, his now wife have just been turned into statues, and... Moya's crew is there to say goodbye, along with Councilman Taino, who is a local who is in, was in love with the princess but couldn't marry her because they weren't genetically compatible. Yes, the princess was also in love with him, despite his tiny, tiny bangs. Well, it's the planet of tiny bangs. It but really is. It's also the planet of, like, really attractive pink pajamas for everyone to wear for formal occasions. And I have to say... They look comfortable. I, w- I, would, I would wear these yeah me too they have a scene where we discover that not only can john hear them which we knew he would be able to but they have this like communication device so that they can hear john as well and he tells chiana that she looks great in the pink outfit and she totally does i'm surprised you can see that since his eyes are closed in his statue pose yeah i do like because he was gonna do a goofy pose but it turns out since he is not sebation since he is human the process was super painful for him and he's in like a painful grimace rigel says he should have taken his stance more seriously when he was turned into a statue so i kind of assumed that you entered a like uh, passive receptive state instead of just being conscious all the time i how are all of their leaders not, like, insane? Because I feel like you would go insane if you were just unable to move but totally conscious for 80 years. I mean, yeah, I definitely feel like that is the case. But also, later on in the episode, the Peacekeeper secret agent says that John is kind of at limited capacity mentally in his statue phase. So I think it's like being under deep hypnosis. Otherwise, it's just torture. Also, I feel like this is just so there won't be weird consent issues later in the episode. I don't like the fact that they can communicate when they're in statue form. I feel like it robs from the narrative that they can communicate in statue form. It lowers the stakes quite a bit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I think it's pretty telling that they didn't let us know that this was a thing until the third episode. John's whole deliberation about whether he should become a statue or not, I feel like has kind of a different resonance if we know that he can communicate as a statue. Mm. 
So anyway, Moya's crew leaves John alone, presumably for the last time. And then the prince comes in and throws a hissy fit about the fact that his sister got married and is going to get to be the empress. I love that he punches John in the face, but it just hurts his hand because, duh, he's a giant metal statue. Idiot. And the, and the Scarin who's been working with him is like, that is an amazing metaphor for everything, but how about if instead of that, you've just let me cut his head off, which they do. Okay, so no security, no security at all. There have been so many attempts on John's life, and I, I think what's going on here is that there is no war in Bossing Say. To, to quote from Avatar The Last Airbender, like, the Empress keeps insisting that none of the royal family would participate in this kind of devious machinations and that they're totally safe. So she refuses to put guards there because that would imply that, you know, the prince was going to let the Scarin come and cut this guy's head off, which is totally what happened. That's asinine reasoning though like yeah but it's not unbelievable no but i mean like royalty has bodyguards when they're out and about or even at home there are guards stopping you from harassing the royal family like it's interesting to me that you're saying this right now when all of the stuff with the royals is going on when the the thing with them not uh, giving Archie any bodyguards because of racism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are referring to the uh, the Meghan Markle interview with Oprah where it was revealed that, yeah, they they didn't give her kid any any security because He also didn't get racism. a title. Yeah, well, taking they, they didn't give him a title and then because he didn't have a title, there was no official security given. Mm. And that's... So much bullshit, too. I'm so glad they got away. It's such a great, like, the princess rescuing the prince story. Anyway, about lowering the stakes almost immediately. So they cut a, the scaring guy cuts off John's head, and the prince is like, oh, that was surprisingly easy. And the scaring guy's like, no, he's, as, as long as you can just super glue his bits back together, he'll be fine when they destatuify him. We need to thoroughly destroy the head. Yeah, because every cell is individually protected by the statue process, so he's still fine until they drop him in this vat of acid that they have. I wonder, I mean, I know there's lots of kinds of acid, but uh, my dad does etchings. Sure, sure. Proper etchings, so there is always acid about Ah, uh huh. And it, it, it's a really, it's a really mild acid. So I'm, I'm used to not like acid not being a thing, but it's like, it's less of a thing than. But I, I know there's different strengths of acid and stuff. Well, this is foundry acid, so presumably it's acid that is designed to melt metal, which is what John is encased in. So it's, it, it's really the right tool for the job. And Prince Claymore just has to mock John before he throws him in. He's like, aha, I know you're scared, and I'm going to taunt you. And also exposit a little about how our laws require that couples rule together. And so once you're disposed of, 
the princess can't be the empress. This is weird to me because we have seen no hint of an emperor. Hmm. Hmm, yeah. yeah. It seems like their mom's just in charge without anyone, you know, there to, I don't know, be there. Yeah, so... I, I like the I like the idea that they have to rule as a couple though. I, I I like the idea that you assume that the person in charge needs somebody to balance them out, that having a single person at the head of a of a planet will inevitably not work out. I, I like that idea. Hmm. So they throw John's head into the, the vat of acid. And this is what I remembered being the cliffhanger of the second episode, but no, I guess it's just the the pre-credit cliffhanger of the third episode. Luckily, it's acid that dissolves at the speed of plot. Good thing for John. I mean, it's really slow-acting acid. Like, he doesn't even have, like, a mark on his face. That's true. So, meanwhile, Aaron and a enthusiastic sex man from the two previous episodes are on a mountain climbing date. Okay, I love this guy. I really do. I like so much about him. I like how he's just, like, completely open and honest. The way he's like, yeah, I think you're hot. I think we should go on a date. She's like, I'm in love with someone else. He's like, that person's not here. I'm totally comfortable just being the person that you hang out with. And they... I I just... I really... and. He has, he's not pressuring her. He's just like there and willing. And I, I don't know. I like this guy. I like him. That's, that's my thing. So she's prepared for them to go mountain climbing or cliff side climbing, I guess. Yes, they're going to scale the cliffs of insanity. And he like kiss dips her and he's like, sorry, it's a local custom. And she's like, okay, whatever. No, no. I, see, this is another thing I like though, because remember they did the whole like, kissing to find out if you're compatible party when they first got here. And she's like, is this another local custom? And he's like, yeah, it's called kiss the girl that you're attracted to. So it's a weird custom where we kiss the people we're attracted to. Uh, Plot point. He also claims to be rated expert on cliff climbing. Mm. Mm. To be fair, when uh, she had sex with a guy she was attracted to in the peacekeeper army, uh, he was carried off and chopped into tiny bits by her superiors, so. Now, to be fair, to be fair, Erin presumably has had sex with lots of people she's attracted to. The problem there was that she had sex with a guy she was in love with. Mm, point. And she's not in love with this guy, so he'll be fine. Ish. Mm. I think it's funny that all of this happening, and... John's the one who goes off and has sex with someone else this episode. Mm. Not Aaron. Out of goddamn nowhere. I I had erased that part from my mind because it comes out of nowhere and it goes nowhere. It's it's not plot relevant. It has no effect on the plot, but it It, happens. It's like a Baywatch moment. Because, you know, Baywatch has these, like, cheesy, ridiculous plots. And then in between that, there's just lots of footage of people running in slow motion. It's like that. It's like, we just need to throw in a sexy bit that literally affects nothing. So... Back at the castle, the Empress has declared martial law until John's head is found. <laughs> Which... Try McLaurin, the president's neck is missing. Lots of Simpsons references here. I mean, I 
could also go back to season one of The Simpsons, the uh, the head of Jebediah Springfield. Right, that's why I asked if you didn't find this episode cromulent. <sighs> that was a very oblique reference to that. Mm. So, apparently, all off-worlders are under suspicion for stealing John's head. Even his shipmates, because... They didn't want him to get married, so obviously when you don't want someone to get married, what you do is cut their head off. That's a deep misreading of the situation. Dargo is encouraging him to get married. Well, Aaron is the one who was most unhappy with it, and she's missing because she's off on her date and she doesn't know what's going on because I guess her cell phone's turned off. <sighs> I I do have to say, though... This is this is back to what I was talking about with the Empress refusing to acknowledge what's going on with her shitty son, because... He's obviously the person who did it. Yeah. And she's refusing to admit that, yes, obviously her shitty son is the one who did this. Meanwhile, at the foundry, uh, S&M alien guy... Scorpius. Scorpius pulls John's head out of the acid and he's like, hey, all this fire around kind of makes you horny, right? We shouldn't kiss, though. Should we? No, no, that would be silly. But what if? <laughs> and then he gets wanged over the head. <laughs> like, he's I, so close to making out with John's head. Which is funny because I just, I'm watching this and I'm thinking how silly it is that he's acting to, like, a bronze prop. Hmm. But yes, he, he gets he gets attacked by someone when he's trying to steal away with John's head. Because the head's really the only part of John he needs. And he says that to him. He's like, I just need the, the wormhole knowledge. The juicy, juicy wormhole knowledge. Can I strap a head into the Aurora chair? You know that's what he's thinking. You know he's trying to figure out how to make it work. So he got, like, none of the good bits from either part of the, uh... Like, I guess he got super strength from his half-dragon part. But, like... He didn't get, like, the heat beams. He didn't get the telepathy. So not to, like, wax rhapsodic about Scorpius, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, he is an S&M alien who's torturing John for the wormhole knowledge in his head. Mm-hmm. But the thing about Scorpius that's cool, like, the thing that makes him an interesting villain is that he has all of these physical limitations because of the way that he is half Scarin and half Peacekeeper. And we've mentioned them before, but here is the episode where the Scarin later on in the episode explicitly states that he's in constant torture because the Scarin part of him craves heat and the Sebation part of him will die if it gets too hot. And of course, the uh, Scarin guy also heavily implies that he gets off on it. But also, what he doesn't talk about is the fact that as a half Scarin, half Sebation, not only does he not really get any of the cool stuff from being a Scarin, other than, I guess, enhanced strength, but also he grows up in a society that is completely prejudiced against him as a, you know, half Scarin. And yet, he rises up the ranks and becomes this, like, head of this Black Ops division trying to do wormhole stuff just on the basis of his intelligence. It's, he's an interesting choice for a villain. I, I like it. Mm. But yeah, no, he, that's the point. He got, that, that was the point I was making. He got none of the good stuff from either side, and yet he still manages to be, like... Yeah, because, like, it, 
he could very easily have gone the other way and just been like, hey, he doesn't have the heat weakness that Sebastians have, plus fire, breath, and psychic powers. Yeah, he could have, yeah, <laughs> he could have just been this, like, super overpowered guy, but no, he has, he's, he's nothing but weaknesses, and yet here he is, you know, running his own gamut base, and, you know. Until it got all blown up. Until right? it got, un- until he just started, yeah, until it got blown up and he started losing continuously to a stupid human. But, you know, whatever. It's John. <laughs> yeah. John, John's like the ruiner. Yeah, I mean, John does, yeah. By the end of the series, John is actually pretty notorious amongst many alien races. One would imagine. <laughs> so, back on Moya... Zan is trying... Okay, so since Moya gave birth to a ship that had guns, the Leviathan god, who's like out of the crappy seasons of original Star Trek, he's just some like glowing dude with dumb facial hair. Honestly, I can't think of him as anything other than the ghost of Christmas present. That's what he looks like to me. Yeah. He's like, I'm sorry, Zan. But I have to kill Moya because if we, uh, if we let her go out in the world giving birth to leviathans that have guns, then we are responsible for bringing evil into the world. Yeah. Oh, and, and don't forget, he's played by Jonathan Hardy, which means he has Rigel's voice. Mm. Zan is muddling about with one of the transport ships with, uh, with the Farscape module, actually, and... He's like, you should just get on a transport, on one of Moya's transport pods, and get out of here instead of messing around with all of this because I'm fixing to kill Moya. And Zan's all like, no, how could you even consider harming a living thing? Anybody who would harm a living thing is really the worst possible person (laughs) ever. And then she turns on the engines and it turns out that she was just configuring the engines so that it would suck the ghost god into them. And this is like, this is my favorite kind of Zan, which she's just like walking around committing murder and then being like, oh, how could I have hurt someone? If she was that Eric Andre. You know? Yes. That, yes. My favorite Zan is the. Uh, why, why would society do this? Yes. Uh, for those of you who aren't super up on meme culture, it's uh, two pictures. One of Eric Andre shooting. uh I don't know who the person is who's getting shot. Yes, one of Eric Andre shooting someone and then turning to the camera and saying, why would society do this? Yeah. That was my favorite, Zan. But yeah, she kills the Leviathan god, which one would imagine would be bad for Leviathans, although he doesn't really seem to be doing much for them on the whole, considering they're mostly, like, a slave race controlled by the Sebations, right? Well, no, I mean... Moya was captured by peacekeepers and they put a control collar on her and that has happened to other leviathans as well but it's not like all leviathans live under peacekeeper control there's plenty of wild leviathans out there yeah okay i just assumed because the sebations seem pretty comfortable on pilot planet so yeah but that was the sebation who was that was the peacekeeper whose whole deal was that he had done nothing but research leviathans for his whole career Mm. so he was comfortable there. I'm just saying, if there were 
guys that were going around stealing the giant whale things that let me experience the universe. I don't think I would let them on my planet. So, I was gonna bring this up later, but yeah, I mean, now's as good a time as any. The fact that there's this guy who's going around and, spoiler alert, testing to see if Xan is worthy of being the person who's in control of a Leviathan. Which she's not. She's not even the most important person on the Leviathan. Yes. But the fact that he's doing this really raises a question about, like, if this god is all is is all good, why is he letting leviathans get captured by peacekeepers in the first place? Seriously, like, seriously, there's so many leviathans who probably need his help, one would imagine, considering that they blew up dozens apparently trying to get them pregnant with gunships. Although this is, of course, the 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 question at the heart of Christianity, right? If God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good, why does he allow evil to happen? Got a kind of messed-up sense of humor. Then we assume he's not all-good. But, like, if he's God, then doesn't isn't everything... Isn't what he does by definition good? Mm. Also, it seems like his, uh, his stance on a lot of things really shifted between the Old Testament and the New Testament, so... Yeah. Like, remember in the uh, in the Old Testament when he told Abraham to kill Isaac and then it was like, ha ha, JK, right when Abraham was about to do it? I do remember that. And also, I just, you have forced me to reimagine God as a, a YouTube prank channel. And I just, I just really want someone to redo the Bible in the style of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, which is a YouTube channel that does Pride and Prejudice as like a video blog. Can somebody redo the Bible with God as doing, like, a YouTube prank channel? Uh, turned your wife into a pillar of salt. God pranks! <laughs> oh, man. That just the, him making the bet with the devil about Job. <laughs> we're pr- today we're pranking Job by killing his entire family and giving him dick boils. But don't oh. worry, if he survives this... We'll get him a new family. God pranked! Oh my god. That, that is that is that the prank that YouTubers do where they like, I mean, I know it's not a real where thing. Where they like smash the iPhone and then they give you a new one? Yeah. Yeah! But all my pictures of my wife and kids are on there. Uh, good news. New wife and new kids because we killed the old ones. God pranks! <laughs> this is the most blasphemous uh, <laughs> podcast you might be listening to. I, I don't know what you're podcast listening things are but there's a good chance that we're being the most blasphemous right now if you think we're being blasphemous now wait until we actually make the god pranks youtube channel oh god pranks so back in the castle chiana is comforting dargo because he feels really guilty he's like oh damn i'm the one who convinced john to get turned into a statue and then someone cut off his head and chiana's like trying to comfort him without touching his facial prosthetics too much She's, like, kind of patting the side of his head. Also, they've given her this amazing white robe to wear. Like, Chiana should stay on this planet just because she looks great in the fashion of this planet. Mm. Meanwhile, we discovered that the person who knocked out Scorpius and took John's head back was the peacekeeper secret operative who is also pretending to be Prince Claver's fiance. I guess she's not pretending. I guess she is his fiance, but she's positioned there so that she can spy for the peacekeepers. And if possible, seize power and then give the uh, 
colony back to them. Although God knows why they'd want to, you know, lay about fuck around planet. I, I'm sure it has like, I'm sure it's rich in natural resources. They're just going to kill all the hippies and then, you know. Yeah, just like they did on the Thank God It's Friday Again planet. Mm. So she puts the statue back together. She puts John's head back on the statue and she turns him back into a human because she needs him to have all of his abilities back for her plan to work, which is the thing that makes me think that he's in some sort of like hypnosis state. Mm. That and the fact that anything else would be unbearable after 80 years. I do like that she, uh, she turns on the listening device and he's just screaming. I mean, who wouldn't be? It's been a rough day for John. It's been a rough day, and the easiest part of his day was the part where he got turned into a statue. It kind of reminds me of, you know the bit in Futurama in the Spanish Fry episode where uh, Lila reattaches his nose with her wrist laser thing? Yes. And she accidentally burns him, and she's like, Sorry, I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> that that's kind of that kind of has the same vibe here, where she just kind of plops his head on, and she doesn't seem like she's super paying attention to what she's doing. And I'm I'm surprised his head was this well attached because she just stuck it on and then didn't make sure it was attached properly before turning him back into a flesh man. Yes. Which I think she wanted uh, to do that just so that she could take a ride on the John go round. Oh my god. Wow. So outside of the castle, Prince Claybor is yelling at the Scarin guy because the plan isn't working. <laughs> and also now John is missing completely and they were able to reconstruct the information from the machine that turns him into a human and see that his head was attached when he became a human. So really just their entire plan is for nothing. Their entire plan got messed up. Like, I know it's a royalty thing or whatever, but, like, yelling at the guy who can kill you by pointing at you hard seems like a dumb idea. Well, I mean, that's what happens when you're royal. You don't think about things like that. So, over in the, uh, on the rock climbing date. In the D plot? Yeah, yeah. Aaron is climbing, and, uh, her date is not having a good time because it turns out that he only is rated expert for like controlled indoor climbs. This is the first time he's ever climbed outdoors. I faced vampires under two separate controlled circumstances. Oh yes, yes. Buffy, Buffy reference. Mm. So Aaron is trying to rescue this guy and I just have to say I mean, he lied about his ability to impress Aaron. That's not the kind of thing she'd be impressed by. You know what she would have been impressed by? If you just, like, had really good sex with her in your room. Yeah! So he fucks up so bad that they both fall off the cliff. Yeah, he slips and then grabs onto her ankle and jerks her down as well. Dude, that's not sexy. I'm taking you with me! So I kind of like this kind of dueling here where we have Aaron and her guy off doing their outdoor thing. And we also have John and the peacekeeper agent outside because she's taken him to hide him off doing their thing. 
And she heard enough of what Scorpius was saying to know that her previous assumption that John was also a spy was wrong. Scorpius was pursuing him as prey. Mm. And John's like, well, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. I respect that John is still trying to bluff his way out of this after he has been 100% busted. Bard. Yeah. And I mean... You know he's a bard because he fails this bluff check, but somehow, like, accidentally succeeds at his seduction. Yeah, we cut away and then we cut back and they're doing it. Yeah. I... I mean, bard skills. Yeah, yeah. I do like that she wants to know what's going on, so she, like, pulls a knife on him and she is like, tell me what the deal is with you and Scorpius and what is happening. And then we cut to commercial. And when we cut back to her, she's like, that's the most ridiculous story I've ever heard. (laughs) Assuming, you know, we're assuming he told her the truth. And she's like, that is just too much. It's too much, man. But like, I'm not going to kill you. Well, this is the first time that this particular thing has happened. Oh, not really. I guess it keeps coming up, but I guess it kind of happens and thank God it's Friday. But it's a thing that I love when it happens on Farscape where Moya's crew ends up on a planet and kind of accidentally gets embroiled in the local politics. And everyone involved in the local politics assume that they have this huge interest in manipulating events and they're like... We don't even go here. We just want to go home. we, We just stopped in to like... Get some gas and more crackers. We do not care what you all are up to. And I think now that she knows that... He's not interfering with her plans at all. Yeah. In fact, he's helping her plans because as long as he stays married to the princess, that means Prince Claivor can't take over and therefore give an advantage to the Scarens. So it's in her best interest to let him get refrozen. And then they bone. And then they bone. I, like... Good for John? I guess. I mean, it makes sense given that Sebastians don't really have, like... Boning is not a romantic thing with them. It's just a, like, blow-off Yeah. I do appreciate that it in no way takes away from John and Aaron's relationship that he has sex with this woman. Like, it's not a thing. This episode ends with a really nice moment for the John and Aaron relationship, and there's no, like, oh, how could you go have sex with that peacekeeper spot? Like, none of that. Like, the romance aspect is completely decoupled from the sex part, and, like, what John and Aaron have can't be touched or affected by the fact that he, you know, has sex with other people. Okay, so not to go off on another tangent so immediately, but I've been rereading uh, Order of the Stick. It's like uh-huh. a D&D webcomic. And, like, there, there's a bit where uh, one of the reoccurring villains, uh, his girlfriend's a outsider or, I don't know, like oh, a, uh-huh. a kind of demon. Yeah, outsider. She's a succubus. And she gets mad at him because he tries to kill her arch rival. Well, she's on another plane. And, uh... He was doing it, he was seducing her so that she'd take off her armor and, you know, right? get rid of all of her weapons. And uh, he's like, 
no, you don't understand. And she's like, yeah, I understand. You were trying to kill her without me. And he's like, oh, I, I thought you were going to be mad because I was having, I was going to have sex with her. And she's like, no, I'm a succubus. I, I, I've had sex four times since, uh, since yeah. breakfast. Well, I, I've had sex four times since I saw you last. And he's like, that was three hours ago. I, I like that. That's, that's, that's the right thing to be mad at. You don't go killing someone else's nemesis for them. That's just insulting. Yeah, they're 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 like really kind of minor reoccurring villains, but their dynamics fun. Their relationship is literally it takes a lot of sacrifice to keep a relationship going. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so relationships. Aaron and her guy apparently did not die when they fell. I know you are shocked that Aaron is still alive. I know, right? But he has, uh, you know, he's he's all wounded. He can't move and Aaron's not in good shape either. And where they have fallen, no one is going to find them, which means that she has to drag this asshole across the desert to get them help. Man, if only someone had invented cell phones. It's weird that, like, they don't have their communicators. It's weird. I, I guess Aaron left it behind because she didn't want to have to deal with John. Meanwhile, in space, Sans like, oh, I killed someone and that's, uh, that's bad, right? I should feel bad about that, right? But then he comes back and he's like, ah, you didn't really kill me. It turns out this was all a test to make sure that you were... Worthy of Moya? Yeah. Which, okay, why aren't you doing this to all the peacekeepers who captured Leviathans? I know we talked about this earlier, but, like, it seems weird that he's arbitrarily doing this to... I mean, I get it, he's doing it because Moya's demonstrated that she can give birth to... Gunships. But, like, you're the god of Leviathans and you don't seem to be doing a whole bunch to liberate them from peacekeepers. Okay, so, like, bringing it back around to the question, the Christian question of if God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good, why does he allow evil to flourish? I think here we can assume that the Leviathan god is not all-knowing and not all-powerful. So... He knows about Moya because of how far they've gone into the uncharted territories. Sorry, that question always reminds me of the uh, the Christian Mingo movie. I know, me too. And like <sighs> the scene where this girl can't answer the question of why God allows evil to exist. Therefore, she's a fake Christian. Yeah, yeah, and it's a, a little Mexican girl asks her, you know, oh, why did why did God? hit our village with an earthquake that killed a bunch of people and knocked down buildings that you and your, you know, missionary boyfriend and his super judgmental parents are here to, you know, rebuild. And hit, and the boyfriend's mother has her answer the question. She's like, I don't know. And the boyfriend's mother's like, uh, well, if you, uh, if you remember from John something, something, and she says, she says the quote in Spanish, because it is not a good answer. If well, because the answer is like, God is unknowable. Actually, I think the the quote that she pulled was like, and he looks upon his house. It, it, it's one of those, like, it's one of those things that's like, okay, you have to be assuming this is some sort of super metaphor for it to work at all as an answer to this question. Oh, that, that movie, man, that movie. I'm assuming there are no women involved in writing it because 
the romantic lead of that movie is like the worst person ever. I mean, my issue with it is that they keep accusing her of not really being a Christian. And I'm like, well, what do you mean by Christian? She believes in God. She believes in Jesus. She believes Jesus is the son of God. She She, goes to church. she, She goes to church. She's reading the Bible and she's even bought like the Bible for dummies, but like she's not knowledgeable enough she she hasn't like she doesn't have a degree in theology therefore she's not a real christian also i thought like that kind of christian was all thirsty for conversion like shouldn't they be like oh someone who believes but not enough i am all on this instead of driving her actively away by being awful well i mean don't forget then towards the end of the movie when she finds the black church and is like wow i really connect with this church where we talk about love and we sing and you know we do outreach to the community and they're like um that's not a real church either you have to go to our white church Yeah, I feel like that movie was secretly anti-Christian propaganda because it legitimately makes Christians look like the worst people ever. But that's sort of a running thing in a lot of Christian movies. But that's the issue with, like, I I got into a pretty heavy Christian movie phase for a while because they're fun. They're... For certain definitions of the word fun. Yes. But, like, they really consistently have a problem with making the villains you know, way more sympathetic and have, like, way more sympathetic than the protagonist, and they almost always have better motivations. Well, I mean, that's because those movies aren't for us. Like, they're not designed to convince us of anything. Although, so, this other podcast I listened to called Worst Bestseller, Mm -hmm. um, they, they have this whole thing with Christian Mingle, and they have this running joke that their podcast is sponsored by Steaks and Cakes, Ugh. which is the restaurant in Christian Mingle. And honestly, like, talk about reasons to believe that this movie is anti-Christian propaganda. Look no further than this terrible restaurant where you are served a giant plate of dry, overcooked steaks and, like, you're, they're served family style. Like, that meat is going to be tough and terrible. Well, keep in mind that that's also the, that's the good Christian restaurant he takes her to after performatively spitting out sushi at the sushi place. Like, he acts like she's trying to force feed him poison. And I'm like, why is she attracted to this man? He's a giant baby. He's acting like, he's acting like a small child. Yeah. When... Like, it's sushi. This movie was, this movie came out in, like, 2012. Sushi was not weird at this point. Sushi was aggressively mainstream. Ugh. Uh, Farscape. So, uh... The point is, maybe this guy isn't all-powerful. That was my point. Yes. So, the god gives Sam... Permission? He he gives him... he, He goes full buddy Christ... Yes, he gives her the thumbs up. Yeah, he's like, you have permission to fly around inside Moya. And Zan's like, neat. Sorry I attempted to murder you. He's like, hey, same. <laughs> so back at the castle on the planet, Dargo meets up with Scorpius because turns out neither of them know where John is or what's going on, so... Team up. Yeah. My... my 
My enemy is temporarily my ally because we both want to find John's body, but for wildly different reasons. I was going to say the enemy of my enemy is my ally, but it's more the one of my many enemies has goals that align with me. So, you know, we might as well work together until our interests no longer align, which will be shortly after our goal is achieved. Yes. So then the Scarin shows up and is like, I am going to evil villain at you, which is hard to do because look at this guy. Look at this S&M alien. And yet somehow I am the scarier villain. He, he finally realizes that his assumption before that John and Scorpius were working together was just totally off base. And he's like, how could I have been so wrong? And everyone's like, because... I love watching this guy turn around because he's got, like, a whole prosthetic head thing going on. Uh-huh. And turning from side to side is a production for him. Yeah, well, it's like, remember the when they did the, the Batman, Batman cowl? Yeah. Where Batman couldn't turn his head, so he so uh, George Clooney had to, like, turn his entire body around? The better to fight crime. Yes. So, he... he attacks Dargo and learns that Chiana believes she knows where John is, even though she doesn't, but she believes she does. So the Scarin is like, well, shall we race to find Chiana and figure out who gets to torture her? And Scorpius is like, look, even if you somehow manage to succeed, which looks very unlikely, my people, and I, I like this, my people, by which I mean the peacekeepers... Because he's emphasizing that he rejects his scare in half. My people will just start a war with you and then we'll fucking kill you. And the Scarin's like, so race to find Chiana? And then he like takes off. So, guess it's on. Also, like, you teamed up with Prince Shortbangs. Clearly your judgment's not great. Back in Aaron's plotline, she's just dragging this guy across the desert, and he's like, ah, it hurts. I know that you're just doing what you have to do, but it hurts. And she's like, hey, you know what would make it hurt less? Next time, don't fall off the cliff! Yeah, it's... God bless Claudia Black. She makes a very, very simple line, by far the funniest bit in the episode. Possibly the trilogy. I know it's not really a comedic... uh... I don't know. Series I, of episodes. But. I feel like the funniest part in the trilogy is Dargo's. The good news is Chiana and I are having a lot of sex. Meanwhile, Rigel. I bet you forgot Rigel was someone, huh? <laughs> yeah, Rigel is freaking out because the Empress has basically decided that since John has been decapitated, her solution is she's going to kill all the offworlders. That'll that'll fix it. <laughs> you know what she could really use. A partner to override her and say, no, maybe it's not any of the offworlders. Maybe it's our shitty son. I was going to say, maybe she could use, like, some other system of government. Because this one doesn't seem to be working out too hot for them. Yeah, that too. Also, that just seems like that would cause more problems. I was going to say in the long run, but honestly, also in the short run. Yeah. So, Prince Claivor finds the Scarin, who has apparently found Chiana. Off screen. Off screen. And a lot of stuff happens off screen this episode. It does. Also, God, Chiana did not do a good job. I hate her catchphrase so much. 
What is it? Kiss, kick, or killing her way out of this situation. No, she's completely unconscious, and the Scarron is just dragging her. I love how he just kind of drops her. He just, like, dead drops her on the ground to have this conversation with Prince Glavor. He's like, I interrogated her off screen, and she doesn't actually know anything. So now I'm just dragging her around for no reason. Yeah. Prince Claivor's like, hey, hey, my mom's gonna kill you. She's gonna execute all the off-worlders. So, looks like her deal's off. Wah-wah, sucks for you. And this Scarin shoots him with his heat beam and kills him instantly. That heat beam is working massively overtime. Like, I guess he was he had it on a low setting earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I like this because he's, uh... Melting. I mean, talk about the enemy of my enemy as my friend. That the scared really took care of that, that hanging that hanging thread there. The Empress wasn't going to do anything about her shitty son, so good thing the Scarron killed him for us so that we could all move on safely. Mm. I feel like this episode is kind of big on problems solving themselves. Yeah. It, it does everything... I mean, to quote The Simpsons again, well, I guess that wraps everything up in a neat little bow, doesn't it? I mean, it actually does. I didn't mean to sound so sarcastic. Meanwhile, John is wearing his sexy sex vest. Yeah, well, not his sexy sex vest. That's actually a different outfit. This is his, like, sexy tank top BDU because he just finished having lots of sex with this peacekeeper woman. His man bra. Yes. And sexy peacekeeper is like, hey... You should take this gigantic necklace I've been wearing because it's actually a weapon. Yeah, it it shoots little laser things. Or if you big do laser it right, things. big laser things. Yeah. I just I love that this planet doesn't allow anybody to carry their weapons. So she's just been wearing I, I can't it's like the size of an onion. She's been wearing this like massive necklace the whole the whole episode and it's like yeah it's because it's a weapon it's a giant ass weapon you remember in uh the homer and apu episode since we're just going to the simpsons well all the time with the giant hat yeah the hidden camera hat that's like a 10 league hat yeah 10 gallon hat yes i was thinking 10 league boots (laughs) right yes that's correct more (laughs) dnd oh i thought that was a fairy tale thing oh I think of it as being a D&D magical item, but yeah, it's probably a fairy tale thing first. Yeah. So, Scorpius and Dargo are trying to figure out what to do as far as their alliance. And Scorpius offers to Dargo that he will take John and scoop out the wormhole knowledge, but I swear Pinky promised that I'll keep him safe and then bring him back to you if you just let me scoop out that wormhole knowledge. Safe and sound, except probably brain dead, but, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and Dargo points out, he says, John will die before he'll let you get to him again, so this isn't even up to me, and no, also, anyway. Also, how much do you guys suck that you immediately lost Chiana? Like, you knew that the lizardy dude was going for Chiana. Yeah, well, and Dargo was looking for Chiana, but I don't think Scorpius actually ever was looking for Chiana. Because he's met Chiana and he's like, yeah, she didn't know anything. Yeah. Yeah. But seriously, Targo, did you not know where your girlfriend was? He didn't. So we cut back to uh, John and What's-Her-Bucket, where she's sexfully teaching him how to use her danger necklace. 
danger necklace. And it's it's very sexy. It's uh, it's like those erotic golf lessons that are in media and probably not in real life. Yes, or like a sexy pottery lesson from Ghost. Yes. So, over in Aaron's camp, Aaron's sexy camp, no sex is happening because she and her guy both have broken legs, but as a peacekeeper, she was trained to keep moving even on broken legs, so she's fine. And he's like, yeah, you're really good with physical pain. You know what you can't handle? Emotional pain! Yeah, he goes off on this whole thing about how, you know, peacekeepers are trained to, you know, not feel emotions, blah, blah, blah. But on this sebation free, on this free sebation colony, everyone has emotions and it's good and it makes them stronger in a different way. And she's like, is it a way that stops you from falling off a goddamn cliff? Okay. She's not like that. I really appreciate this because Aaron's like, well, I don't want to get hurt. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to get hurt. And he's like, well, yeah, but the whole point is everything you experience, you know, before the hurt. And again, I'm telling you, I like this guy so much. He's like, you really need to tell John how you feel. Even if because of everything you can't be together, you'll feel better if you let him know how you feel. Back at the castle. Back at the castle. The... Peacekeeper agent is back in her disguise makeup, and I'm like, oh, that's why you look so good these last scenes. You weren't wearing the ridiculous makeup that this planet wears. Mm. It's like, it's like the guys came out and were like, okay, so we have these terrible, terrible short bangs, and we refuse to go on camera unless you come up with something as ugly for the women to do. And they were like, I don't know, what if their makeup's just terrible? Mm. Anyway, she and John have returned, but John is kind of hanging back and hiding so that she can go in and pretend to be sad that Prince Claybor's dead. And she does a really good job. She's like, oh no, I am so sad. The fact that he's not alive anymore brings me emotional pain. I, which, I mean, credit to her. That's really good spycraft on her part. Yeah. As was demonstrated by that previous scene. Emotions aren't really, you know, something peacekeepers were brought up with. Right? But she's all like, yeah, I definitely care that my fiancé is dead. (laughs) Meanwhile, Aaron, (laughs) I I kind of, this, it's weird that this subplot where Aaron and this other guy almost die while mountain climbing is the funniest, but she's like halfway across the desert and some guy sees them and is like, hey, do you need help? Some guy who looks like that big hair guy from Kids in the Hall. Yeah. Scott McKinney. Scott McKin- McKinney. Okay. Was he the big hair guy? Yeah. Poofy hair guy. I don't know anyone's name from that show. Yeah. But I just, I love that. He's like, do you need help? And Aaron's like, what the fuck do you think, man? Look at us. <laughs> I've been dragging him on a stretcher. I do like that, right? Like, everyone's crying around Prince Wetz's bucket's body, and Rigel's like, so we're in the clear then, huh? Yeah. Rigel's like, okay, so we all agree that he's the one who attacked John, right? So we don't have to kill all the offworlders? And Counselor Tyna's like, nope, nope, she still needs to kill all the offworlders. Even though her son was shitty, she refuses to acknowledge that he is the one who caused all of this. And then John comes in and is like, hey, um,. I am alive again, so you don't have to kill everyone. I can just tell you who did this to me. 
And uh, the spy lady slaps him and then runs off crying because, you know. Spycraft. Mm-hmm. Because she has to pretend that she still wanted to get the throne. Yeah. No, I like it. I like that they kind of had it all worked out. And Rigel tells John about Shiana being missing. So he's like, oh, my God, do I have to do every goddamn thing around here? It's really weird that they let Rigel into the corpse room. Come to think of it. Eh. One would think if she was going to have all of the Outworlders executed, she would, like, put them all in one place. They have no security guards anywhere. How is this planet up and taken over so many times? I know, it's so funny because we see, well, okay, actually this is why. Because I was going to say, we see the Scarens and the Peacekeepers are both vying for it so hard. But there, that's why nobody's taken it over. Because they have, they have ironically held each other in check. Okay, I'm sorry for the 10 millionth Simpsons episode. The thing about Mr. Burns' diseases, how he has so many diseases that it's like all of them trying to get through a door. Yeah, he has so many diseases that none of them has room to actually kill him. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, they go back and forth, Scorpius and the Scarin, and... Yeah, they're... The Scarin is literally lowering Chiana into the acid... He has her change the ceiling. Uh, I don't really understand what his plan was lowering her into the acid. Like, if it was to lure John out of hiding, that makes sense. But he would have had to tell literally anyone (laughs) that he was there. Yeah, I don't get how we got to this point. It doesn't make any sense. But But whatever. Chiana's being lowered into the acid, but luckily here comes Bat John to save her. Yeah, John shows up with his, uh, his weapon necklace and starts firing it. And, uh, he fires the Scarin right into the vat of acid. Okay. And then... Dargo Batman's in and saves Chiana from falling into the acid. Yeah, she starts to fall, like, super fast, and Dargo, like, runs and dives and catches her jumping over the acid vat. Some real Xena-ass physics there. It's nice, because they're in love, so his love gave him the strength to save her. It's sweet. Anyway. Too bad no one loves you, Scarin. <laughs> right, yeah. Or, he... or how, how, does that, how does that go? If only there was someone who loved you. Yes, but nobody does. So he, he he's dead. He, he dies in the acid. And Scorpius is not in good shape either because it's so hot in here. And yeah, before, I forget what point earlier in the episode, but before the Scarin went off on this long rant about how he needs the cooling rods inserted into his brain so he doesn't die. But, you know, the, the Scarin part of him loves the fire, even though the... Uh, even though the sebation part of him is being killed by it. And it, it's this big, long speech that basically is like, hey, you know his S&M aesthetic? That's his whole life. And, like, he's literally deriving pleasure from the pain he's in in all times. And it's like, okay, thanks. Thanks for that. Thanks for that scaring guy. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Everyone knows about the S&M genetic mistake. He says, tell me it's true that your quest for temporal continu- consistency, tell me it's true that your quest for temporal consistency is agonizing. Which is one of the most ridiculous lines in the series, and I love it so much. What is this, Riverdale? Yes! I'm sorry, I stole that from you. You, you said okay. that when we were... That's okay, they didn't know that, that's fine. I did want to give you credit because, you know, 
It's one of the things that keeps you going back to Riverdale, the amazing, amazing dialogue. Max, didn't you know? Betty has the serial killer gene! And the prom is tomorrow! (laughs) Anyway, John wants to know if Scorpius is dead from all of this heat, and Dargo says to John, if he's not, he should be by the time you leave here. Like... Do do your thing and kill Scorpius. And John holds him over the vat of acid and tries to push him in, but he has kind of like a brain flash to the Aurora chair, and he's physically incapable of killing Scorpius. I, I don't know if this is an Aurora chair thing or if I'm just like guessing, but if I was going to put someone in a psychic torture chair, I think I would also leave a post-hypnotic suggestion that they would be incapable of I would say harming, but killing in any case me. Yeah. Well, and in fact, when John leaves, Scorpius kind of looks up and sees him leave and then dips his hand in the acid so that we, the audience, know that the acid wouldn't have actually hurt him for whatever reason and that he was basically doing this as a way to test whether or not John's programming was working, whether or not he had the ability to kill Scorpius. Hmm. So... Killed a Scarin, presumably would kill Sebations, but when you're a mix of the two. I sort of assumed it was just part of his SNAM thing where just a quick dip wasn't enough to dissolve him. But... It might have just been the outfit. It might have just been the, yeah, the his suit that did that. So here we get kind of the emotional crux of this little trilogy. Yeah, so John is back in the statue chamber and he's like, yeah, no, I'm done with all of this bullshit. I am not getting turned into a statue. And the Empress is like, but what about your baby? Yep, it turns out that the princess was pregnant with the DNA samples that they took from John before, you know, to test out their compatibility. And she was pregnant before she got frozen, so she's pregnant now. And John is instantly like, freeze me. Freeze me right now. Boy, did John not consent to that. Didn't he? I I mean, I guess he implicitly consented to have a baby with her at some point. I mean, the whole point of them, the whole point of the marriage was that he was genetically compatible with her. I feel like he did kind of, I I feel like, yes, he consented to that. I don't know. It feels really weird that they didn't tell him, oh, by the way, we're getting her pregnant with your genetic material right now. Like, I feel like he should be at least informed before that. I mean... I mean, there's a difference between knowing something's going to happen at some point and then... I I, I see what you're saying, but also the way that the Empress says it, it seems like every princess is pregnant before she gets frozen. It was just like a given. Yes, of course she'll be pregnant before we freeze her. It doesn't sit great with me that... That he didn't have a say in it? Yeah. It seems bad. So the point is the princess is pregnant and John immediately is like, well, then freeze me. Freeze me so that I can be with my kid. And now we learn that because he's human and not sebation, he basically can't undergo the process again. His body won't take it and he will die. Huh, that's plot convenient. It is plot convenient. Also... It turns out that you can only do this specific thing once. (laughs) Yes. And so John says, well freeze Tino. Nobody nobody knows what I look like. Freeze Tino. He's in love with the princess already and she's in love with him. 
and she's already pregnant, so you don't need my DNA, and... I do love that the Empress is like, but he's not a genetic match, and John's like, she's already pregnant! Yeah, so Tyna will pretend to be the father, and, and be the father. Yeah, Tyna will be the father, and there'll be no, like asshole little brother prince this time around <laughs> exactly and since john has that little device that you can use to communicate with the statues he asks the princess how she feels about it and she is like oh yeah score this is definitely the best thing that could have happened mm, interesting that consent's important here don't get me wrong consent is important here i i figured this is probably the whole reason why they introduced the whole oh and you can communicate with people when they're in statue form yeah like it's good. I feel like a different show probably wouldn't have run this past her. I do like that they did that. It it just makes it really uncomfortable that they sperm-jacked John. So John is going to leave, and he's like, Hey, look, everybody gets what they want. All the good guys won. You know, it's best case scenario. And as he's leaving, Tyler's like, Hey, do, do you want to see what your child is going to be like? Because remember, we have that technology. John's like, okay. And then he gets in the machine and this little girl is like, hi, daddy, I love you. And it's so sad. It's really, really depressing because she's not going to be born until long He's after dead. John's dead. Yeah, it's hard to watch. And this doesn't come back at any point, right? This does not come back. Although we can assume that, I mean, you can, you can, uh, you can fanfiction out your own story about John going back and getting her. Or or being, you know, meeting her. Getting to be around her. Why do time travel shenanigans happen? Time travel shenanigans do happen. That isn't what I was referring to, but they do happen. So time travel is a thing that happens in this show. But also he could, like, go back and overthrow the government and unfreeze them. <laughs> like, at the end of the series, he totally has the ability to do that. Or you could pull a season four charmed uh, seer move where you just shoot the baby into a different uterus. Yeah. God, that plot made no goddamn sense. <laughs> we'll get to it in our charm podcast. So now everyone's back on Moya and Chiana and Dargo have a conversation where Dargo talks about how shitty it is that John had to leave his kid behind and... He Ch makes reference to his own child who yes. he's looking for. Yes, Chiana's like, oh, right, you have a son who's out there somewhere mm. that we may or may not ever find. They're gonna find him. <laughs> but he's, uh, he, it turns out that he's Alexander from Star Trek. Yes, he definitely is. <laughs> and then we get the scene with John and Aaron, and I really love this. John and Aaron are in the in the hangar, messing with their ships, and... So Moya got voiped back by the god, then? Yes. Okay. And and we find out from dialogue that no one will tell the rest of the crew what happened when they got voiped away. <laughs> so, John's trying to talk to Aaron, and she's not talking to him, and he's like, I don't know, I don't even know what to say about this you not talking to me thing. And so finally, Aaron approaches him, and she's got the little vial that you use on your tongue to see if you're compatible or not, because Aaron can't say it. She can't have the words. So this is her way of indicating to John, I have an interest in forming a family with you, even though that's not even a thing peacekeepers do. So let's see if we're genetically compatible. And I remember, she's the daughter of freaks who... 
were actually romantically involved with one another. Yes. I said, remember, like, you're not the one who knows this show, and I... She's the product of true love. God. Yes, she is the show's Emma Swan. And they kiss, and it's super sexy, and then they turn away, and she's got this, like, smile. This, like, big smile, because she and John are compatible. Honestly, Claudia Black is such a good actress. She's amazing. She, like, her face just... Because she's not smiling at first when she looks away. She's... There's this long moment where you don't know how it came out. And she does such a good job just maintaining this very neutral facial expression before smiling. And then it's just like daybreak. God, Claudia Black. I know she's in other stuff, but I feel like she did not get her due as an actress. She really has not yet. Although... I have made that playlist for you for us to watch just the good Claudia Black episodes of Stargate. Mm. And I recently came across on YouTube just a compilation of all of her scenes from the Dresden Files. So that's how we're going to experience that show. Possibly. Quite possibly. And that's the end. Blah, blah, space. So that was our first three-parter. Yeah. So in general, how did you feel about it? I liked it. I feel like it probably didn't need to be three parts. They probably could have burned a lot of stuff off it and just had one very strong episode, Hmm. possibly one very strong two-parter. But I liked it for the most, yeah, yeah, for the most part. I felt emotions in the parts where I was supposed to feel emotions. It did its job? It did its job as a piece of media. So the next episode that we have coming up is Beware of Dog. Mm-hmm. And the Amazon Prime description is, Dargo's life hangs in the balance as the crew frantically search Moya for the parasite that attacked and poisoned him. Or so they believe. Okay. Is that another episode where someone's hallucinating or whatever? Uh, there is some hallucination in that episode, but it's it's fine. It's a fine episode. It's not, it's a real, it's a real workman episode. Mm. But then the episode after that is Won't Get Fooled Again. Okay. I feel like I've mentioned that episode a lot. Snowcrackers don't matter. That's the preview image for Won't Get Fooled Again. Okay. Okay, yeah. So, we skipped our segments for the first two episodes, but you want to do them now? Sure. Let's segment it up. All right. So, our first segment is Strange Alien Creatures, where we talk about any aliens that worked for you this episode. I mean... Over the course of the, uh... Over the course of this three-parter. Yeah. You know what? The, uh, the Scarin design, it, it's a little bulky and a little, uh... I don't think this animal would be successful in real life <laughs> But I liked it. It was menacing enough. For the amount, for the bulk of the prosthesis, I'm impressed with how movable it is. How realistic it looks. Yeah. I, I want to give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely am with you there. Our second segment is a distant part of the universe, which is what world building worked for you? Anything in this episode that had world building that worked for you? Or three-parter again. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I actually liked a lot. Of, like, I know I smack-talked a lot about how this stupid planet works, but I don't know. I, I, I do like a lot of how the planet runs. Not so much the whole 80 years of statue thing. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of that, but the uh, sort of having this society based on 
uh, genetic compatibility, but not in the way Peacekeeper Society is based on genetic uh, compatibility. I did like that a lot. Yeah, I liked that they had the the little potion that lets you know if you're compatible or not. And you're right, it is kind of the opposite of what the Peacekeepers do, because the Peacekeepers are very fascist in their obsession with, like, blood purity. But the fact that this thing even exists to let you know if you're compatible or not implies a society where people are out marrying and having sex with and making families with all sorts of aliens. So they need to know which aliens have bits that match our bits. What I like about the society is that you can tell that there's still sebation. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it, it's a very different society, but it's still also really clearly based on sebation ideals. Yes. Which I like. I like that it's a very different take on this race that is still based on what makes this, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And our final segment is Looking for a Way Home. Which is what made you feel emotions this episode? Or three-parter. Yes. Okay, it's the obvious one, which I feel like... I feel like it's 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 cheating because it's using parental feels, which I, I'll, I'll speak for myself mostly here. I've become way more vulnerable to since our daughter was born. To quote The Office, I used to be able to watch Pulp Fiction and laugh, and now I'm like... That poor gimp is somebody's child. Motherhood makes you soft. Yeah, so the scene where John gets to see what his daughter is going to look like gets me. I definitely cried while we were watching that scene. But I, so I'm going to choose a different moment, though, and say that it made my heart feel full at the very end when John and Aaron kiss. It is, it is a really good moment. Honestly, I, I mostly didn't choose that because it feels like cheating because it's almost always the John and Aaron moment that's the emotional highlight of an episode. Yeah, I mean, those are good moments. But uh, I will point out that neither of us chose what was intended to hit us as a strong moment where Moya, the ship, because she's in the presence of her god, is able to actually speak directly to Zan. Like, oh, neither of us... We didn't even mention that when we were <laughs> recapping the episode. Oh... Yeah, that happened. Moya was like, Zan, I enjoy having you inside of me. I know we've I know we've quoted a lot of Simpsons today, but let me just talk about Futurama. Are you, Zan? Are you in the ship an item? I mean, I know you're both items. That'd be like me dating a giant fat woman and, and she'd living be, inside of her and living inside her and she'd be flying around like whoosh. And on that note, (laughs) I think that does it for this week. I think that'll about cover it, yeah. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. We'd also like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maricruz, Rosa, Javier, Benjamin, Kyle, and Kate. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you'd always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you should join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I Love TV Zines on Twitter, or at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. <laughs> <laughs>